The Money Show. Business Unusual. With Colin Cullis. Business Unusual brought to you by Workforce Staffing. Is your business simply surviving or are you thriving with Workforce Staffing's leading agile staffing solutions? Colin Cullis, I did a survey earlier um, about Ukraine and I think you're going to give us a survey about Ukraine. I timed my survey to finish about now. The trick is, how do I find my survey? Um, but while I do that, Colin Cullis, I, 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 pose, I, I postulated and I asked the question because I don't know the answer. Um, and I asked in my survey, I said, uh, the South African government, through its refusal to condemn Russia's attack on Ukraine, is complicit in the inflation storm to come, higher oil and grain prices driven by military action. And I asked if people disagreed, agreed or if I was way off the mark. And 69% of people who voted in the poll, admittedly these are people who follow me on social media, uh, did suggest that I was correct in that the South African uh, government would therefore be complicit because essentially they're saying to the Russians, oh, okay, if you have to, we're not going to stop you. We're not going to ask you to stop because we're friends and we owe you for 30 years of friendship. And uh, some of our people will even have drinks with you to celebrate the military incursion. Um, And so, yeah, certainly the followers of uh, Bruce Business believe that the South African government is going to be held to be complicit because of the inflation that is going to come. What's your thought of sanctions and the war and conflict? I'm not too sure where you want to take this this evening. Well, Bruce, I'm very glad that you did actually run that poll uh, because it dovetailed quite nicely with the other one to illustrate the conundrum that is how, if, and when to use sanctions. So yours uh, seemed to suggest quite clearly that because South Africa hasn't joined the rest of the world community in condemning the attacks, that effectively the, the, the issues that come from the inflation, et cetera, and potentially allowing the war to last longer than it otherwise would, uh, would, would occur. I asked if sanctions against Russia will help end the conflict sooner. And my options were absolutely, maybe, or Russia will not budge. The absolutely's less than 5%. The maybes a quarter. The Russia will not budge over 70%. So the notion of us saying uh, we're complicit by not condemning actions that go against what we would like to see the world and how the world operates does seem to run counter that sanctions are a way of getting someone to stop. Now, potentially with Russia in particular, people are seeing Putin in particular saying on that basis, he would not budge. But I I did think given that this is effectively a political situation, how we've come to rely on business tools to effectively try and end wars. Um, And the definition simply in English is an odd language that sanction can either mean allow you to do something or it is a consequence uh, that flow, flows from you having done something. So it's a kind of a, it's got an opposite meaning. But effectively, uh, in the simplistic terms, this is cancel culture at country level. When one country does something that other countries disagree with, what they can do to show their displeasure and, and inflict pain without having to go to war to get that country to stop doing what it's doing, either to uh, you know the people within its own borders or, and this is the one where it really does become a big deal for everybody, is when those things extend beyond its borders. And its history, I suspect, you know, anybody that wanted to look at this would probably see that uh, withholding trade or limiting what and who may interact with each other probably goes back as long as humans have existed. Uh, But it's sort of agreed that the first time where uh, a nation state, Athens, had specifically uh, said that its merchants were not allowed to trade with merchants from another state ahead of a potential actual conflict was around, what, was over 2,000 years ago. Uh, I don't know if the outcome there 
necessarily resolved the issue. And so they, they found an amicable solution to it, or if it still resulted in war, or perhaps it, it resulted in a shorter war. But that was the first time where we saw, you know, a government using something like that. It's modern use, though, uh, certainly gained prominence after the First World War. Uh, during that war, the, the loss of life was dramatic and blockades on occasion uh, were seen to be quite effective in, in, in getting a town or a city or a particular region to sort of stop fighting sooner, simply because they lacked the ability to get access to materials or weapons or ammunition or whatever else. So the idea of a sanction to say, let's let's prevent somebody getting access to something as a way of deterring them from either continuing or, or starting a, a, a war sounded like a good idea. And the League of Nations in particular, uh, set up after that First World War, sought to sort of try and keep a, a lid on other small conflicts that might be brewing to, to help them from, from spilling over. Uh, once again, the First World War wasn't triggered by two large nations going at against each other. It, it was triggered by two smaller nations and, and an issue there sort of escalating to involve the entire region. And the first intervention that I suppose you could say was the, the one that illustrated that it worked occurred in sort of 1920s. It was Greece and Bulgaria. And an incursion happened on one of the contested part of their borders. And it saw uh, the Greeks uh, actually uh, occupy some of that region. The Bulgarians were looking to, to reply and bringing in troops. And the League of Nations told both nations, unless they withdraw their troops, there will be significant economic penalties to be, to be placed on both nations. They complied, withdrew their troops. They were very grumpy about it uh, and noted that, you know, if only we were bigger countries, then we wouldn't have these bigger countries bully us into doing that. And that was kind of the start of where the real challenge with sanctions occur. You need to have the very powerful implement these. And typically they work only if they're working against other much smaller uh, dependent nations doing it. And in this particular case, where we have a large, powerful nation like Russia and, and Europe, the rest of the world, the US, et cetera, uh, then it's not so clear how necessarily these things would work. And um, the, the way I suppose you'd imagine it would work best is if you can target the kinds of things that that nation relies on, its major exports or its principal uh, imports, and say, right, can we get enough uh, political agreement from the other nations to prevent them uh, continuing to get access to that? Uh, that has been typically the, the way people have looked to do it. The catch, though, is the amount and the, the ability to implement the sanctions have often also resulted in damage to the businesses and to the citizens of those countries that while not resulting in deaths, so much suffering and, and, and damage mm. the actual economies that you might have thought mm, it would have been short and sharp if somebody just went in there with a pokey stick and said, right, break it up or stop doing what you're doing, et cetera. And, and that's been the challenge really is, is how best to use them. And so in the 90s, as the world globalized and a lot more uh, sophisticated methods of, of interactions came about, uh, we hit upon this idea of a smart sanction. And this said, rather than uh, you know targeting an entire country, you now started targeting perhaps specific ministries or groupings within ministries or governments or individuals, specific companies. And by uh, um, sort of inflicting the maximum pain on the individuals, uh, you could get them to sort of capitulate or realize or, or get back to the to the negotiating table. Uh, and that, again, I think, you know, has merit. It certainly should be one of the things that in any conflict you look to you look to use as a, as a tool to persuade somebody to keep negotiating because there will be these consequences if you don't do it. Uh, but all too often, they fail to deliver that sort of clean, neat solution because getting countries to agree on something is very difficult. Your, your point about South Africa being reticent to say something officially to say, right, that's it, we completely condemn this and Russia should withdraw, is difficult because there is a longer, bigger relationship than just this one. And uh, the most dramatic version I've seen so far is, is a call that R Russia should be removed from its permanent Security Council yeah. seat on the United Nations. Uh, while it remains there, uh, effectively anything that the UN sanctions that should happen from that body can be vetoed by Russia or any of the permanent <laughs> members. 
And, and you know, it, it does seem like, wow, we've got to change that, shouldn't we? And, and here's where the real failure comes, because America, when they effectively unilaterally decided to say, we're going to war in Iraq, did not get uh, the agreement and sanction from the UN to do so. But they went ahead anyway. But at that point, we didn't see somebody effectively trying to get America to removed from the security seat, uh, in part because, you know, America pays a big chunk of the bills to, to run the UN, not least of which is having them actually housed and, and operating out of New York. So removing America from that kind of body is very difficult. It kind of gives America a super status of saying, whatever they say must be the way it goes, and then they will use their other forms of, of leverage to try and get something to sort of work. What was, has been impressive is that uh, even, even as America and the rest of the world did impose sanctions after 2014, uh, they were sort of lower level, uh, and it didn't deter Putin and, and his government from wanting to do something. In fact, the opposite may have occurred, and this is something else that some people point to the Second World War's uh, uh, um, you know, causes for starting, is that after the First World War and the very strict conditions placed yeah. on Germany and, and what it needed to do for reparations, uh, saw people inside Germany sort of siding with the kind of sentiments that Hitler was saying, you know, the countries are against us, they're trying to keep us down, and we simply just want to get our, get our uh, sovereignty back the kind of notions that Putin has been doing. And so here we sit with this, with this particular problem and there'll be more of that sort of online. But I did want to try and see if there isn't a, a something better we can get to. Because in one respect, not in a conflict way, challenging or, or dealing with climate change is a similar problem. All countries must come together and do something. Only a few countries have to not do it and we're all in trouble. And the notion there might be that once uh, bodies like the UN make an undertaking, we have the Paris Agreement, the Paris Agreement is still just a promise. If a country decides not to do it, you can't do much about it. Donald Trump with a couple of pen strokes removed America from it. So you almost have to get those things put back into the individual countries with their consultations, into their constitutions. And perhaps here, somebody very clever, somebody with a bit of time can start turning these things into digital smart contracts. Effectively, as soon as a condition is triggered by a country doing something it said it wouldn't, the economic uh, implications of it simply get triggered and you feel the pain from that. And they remain in place until that condition is suspended. I don't know that it's going to be easy to do. In fact, it'll be very difficult. I do hope this conflict will get resolved quickly uh, yeah. with people sort of uh, coming to the table and renegotiating. But it looks like for now, sanctions are remain a blunt instrument, but a better one than an actual weapon to try and get countries to avoid war. Exactly. I mean, we South Africa is the country. It well, okay. Let's, let's rather go back to two thousand and six when we were booming. South Africa became the possibility that it became uh, before it got corrupted and stolen, um, simply because of sanctions. Sanctions actually played a, an absolutely vital role in bringing apartheid to its knees. I mean, the the role that sanctions can play is is incredibly positive. I don't know if you've seen a fabulous story online that the company that produces Russian bear vodka. I think is regretting the name it gave its vodka uh, because there's nothing Russian or bearish about the vodka, Colin. Um, the It's a South African company based in KZN called Edward Snell. It was a company that was started in 1848, according to a piece on News 24 by the former Durban mayor, Edward Snell. Um, and they make Russian bear vodka in South Africa. And uh, the company is saying, with all the current conflict in Ukraine, trade between Russia and South Africa has become a concern for many consumers. And despite the name of the brand, which comes in lots of different flavors, it's very much a South African product. Honestly, it is. Our vodka brand has absolutely no affiliation or link to Russia whatsoever. It's 100% locally owned and produced, says Edward Snell and Company, the South African firm. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a, it's a, suddenly life becomes very complicated and people jump to all kinds of conclusions. Thank you, Colin Cullis, with Business Unusual.